0: Today's episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And the Roger Hoover Podcast is proud to be part of the River City Rogue Podcast Network. For the best local blogs, vlogs, and podcasts on sports culture and entertainment, head to rivercityrogue.com. Bold views from the bold city and beyond. everybody I'm Roger Hoover and welcome to this episode of the Roger Hoover podcast. Recording this on Tuesday, August first, twenty seventeen. On the road, we're in Biloxi, Mississippi. Here in the visiting radio booth at MGM Park, where tonight the Jumbo Shrimp will continue their series with the Biloxi Shuckers. But hope you're doing well. And a very short gap in between podcast episodes. Hope you check out the episode I released on Friday. My conversation with the director of broadcasting for Alabama hockey and their play-by-play broadcaster, Kendall Grayson. But recorded this interview just a few moments ago with Brittany Wagner, who is one of the stars of Last Chance U, the very popular Netflix series that just launched its second season, taking an inside look at East Mississippi Community College and the football program there, one of the best junior college programs in the entire country. If you've watched the show, you know that Brittany plays a very key role as an academic advisor and helping these players not only just stay eligible for their own sake at East Mississippi, but also helping them become eligible to play Division I football again and She really has done a great job in helping a lot of these players get their dreams of going back to a division one program especially guys that did play division one football had to go down to the juco level for whatever reason she has helped make sure that they get back on track and get back to where they want to go she is no longer at east mississippi and her last two years there were the two years that netflix filmed for last chance you but now she has her own company Ten Thousand pencils and she's really bringing her message to a lot of different people all across the country so really wanted to talk with Brittany wagner and wanted to interview her last Year, but sent an email to her just last week and she said yes. And we recorded this interview earlier today, so I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Brittany Wagner, one of the stars of Last Chance You. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice watching season two of Last Chance U. Every time they showed you at your desk, I always saw my alma mater, the University of Tennessee. A couple of cards right there. Uh, Even saw like a Derek Dooley picture uh, that was on your wall as well. What can you tell me about your relationship with Tennessee through the years?
1: That's so great. Uh, You know, I'm amazed at that and how people pay such close attention to the things around me. I've gotten so many emails and tweets about all the different mugs and pictures on that board. That amazes me that people are that perceptive. But yes, I have a a relationship with Tennessee that I've had for a pretty long time. Um, My sister actually lives in Knoxville. She has lived there for quite a while now and um, is, is that her family and her husband is from Knoxville and grew up there, lived there his whole life, and his family are huge supporters of UT athletics. So she's a UT fan. So I go to usually one game a year, um, one football game a year, and, and sometimes basketball games as well. They go to everything, even you know softball and um, some of the some of the other sports. I met um, a long, long time ago. Terry Joseph was an assistant coach there. He was your DBs coach, and he was recruiting one of our players at SCUBA, Isaiah Lanier, who ended up coming to Tennessee and played for you guys uh, when when Coach Julie was the coach. Um, and that is how my relationship with Tennessee started, just with Terry Joseph recruiting several of our athletes and then finally getting finally getting Isaiah Lanier. He also recruited a few others. Um, coach Dooley and I um, just kind of connected. I felt like Coach Dooley was a, was a coach that really kind of cared about his players off the field. Um, I think that maybe ultimately cost him his job. But I just and, – and then since then, um, I've just maintained that relationship Those cards on my board were thank you cards. One was from, I believe, Terry Joseph um, back in the day, just thanking me for my time and efforts in getting Isaiah to Tennessee. There was another card on the board from Tennessee that was probably an assistant coach with Butch Jones' staff because they have recruited a couple players too. And um, So that's the Tennessee connection. There was also a Tennessee coffee mug in season one um, that people tweeted about quite a bit. My sister actually gave me that. Um, So that's my connection to UT.
0: Now, getting ready for season two, were you getting a lot of more cards or more things sent to you, hoping that some schools would get noticed like Tennessee got noticed by a lot of people?
1: Yeah, I think the the coffee mugs in season one were legit my coffee mugs from my, you know, kitchen. (laughs) The coffee mugs in season two, most of them were sent to me by fans or companies trying to get, you know, obviously marketing. Um, There's some Oklahoma coffee mugs in season two. Um, Those were sent by some fans of the show that I actually became friends with. Um, The Freemans and they uh, actually came to Scuba to meet me and I just became friends with them and they sent me those mugs. Um, Their Mississippi State mug, obviously that's my alma mater, so there's several of those in the show. Those are, those are mine. Um, But most of the other ones in season two were sent to me by fans.
0: Well, and what can you tell us about your journey? First of all, where did you grow up, and how did you start to work in athletics?
1: I grew up in Clinton, Mississippi, which is a suburb of Jackson, Mississippi. I lived there my whole life. I went to Clinton High School, um, which is most recently known for Cam Akers, um, the top football player in the country last year that ended up at Florida State. And um, I, I started out at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. I went there a year and a half and decided that when more people went to the library on Saturdays than football games, it was not the place for me. So <laughs> I transferred to Mississippi State. Um, how I ended up in athletics, obviously, honestly, I had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, and I think that is so you know, and I think that is that is the norm for college students. And we as adults want to force them to know and make a decision. And we, we act like it's this awakening that they should have. You know, when they're when they're on their way to college, they should just know what they want to do. And I went through two years of college undecided as an undecided major. I had no clue what I wanted to do, none whatsoever. Um, the time came for me to pick my major, and I honestly, math was my weakest subject. I hated it. And I just did not want to take any more math than I had to take. And I flipped through the catalog at Mississippi State, and I found the major with the least amount of math required, and that was sports communication. I looked at the other classes that I would have to take in that major. I read a little bit about the major and just thought, okay, you know, this looks interesting to me. These classes look interesting to me. And so that's what I majored in. And I think, you know, I always had a love for sports, and I I always – talked a lot, so the two kind of went hand in hand, but I didn't didn't know, and and even going through the major, I don't think I really knew, I knew that I liked that, and I liked my classes, and I, but I I never really knew what exactly it was I wanted to do until I got a graduate assistantship at Mississippi State, Um, I was going to graduate school and needed it paid for. And I just went in and said, hey, I need a graduate assistantship. And they said, there's one left. It's in the athletic academic office. I had no clue what that was. I had no clue that there were teams of people helping athletes with their academics. I didn't know that existed. Um, I took that assistantship. And it was during that time as a graduate student that I realized, you know, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I feel at home. And I've, I've, I can do this. I'll be good at this. Um, and so, you know, I was probably 20, I don't know, 22 years old when I, when I came to that realization. And honestly, I think that's probably normal for most college students today.
0: And then you got to work at Mississippi State and got to work with those athletes at a Division One level. How'd you end up at East Mississippi at JUCO?
1: I worked at Mississippi State um, for, as a student worker, as a graduate assistant, and then full-time. also had some stops at some other colleges along the way. And then um, East Mississippi had an athlete. They were, they, before they hired Buddy Stevens, they, were, they had won four games. They were a terrible program. They had no Division One players. Um, they were just awful. And they hired Coach Stevens in that first recruiting class. They signed three pretty big-time players in his first recruiting class, one of which was Randall Mackey. He was a Louisiana State High School Player of the Year he had been recruited by everybody out of high school and had signed with Ole Miss, and was an inel- And basically was ineligible, did not qualify. So he came to SCUBA, was with was with EMCC for one year and was not doing well. Um, he was flunking out. No one could kind of handle him. And the president of East Mississippi at the time, who was really putting forth a lot of money and a lot of energy in athletics, started looking into how do Division One programs handle these situations? You know, how, how do Division One programs keep players eligible? And he, and he realized through some phone calls to some athletic directors that, that they have entire departments, you know, managing these athletes. And so it was at that time that they called Mississippi State and they were looking for someone to come to SCUBA and start an academic program. Um, and then that's how the conversation started. And, and next thing I knew, I was... <laughs> I was sitting in an office with a with a desk and a computer and a phone, and that was about it. Um, building a program at East Mississippi.
0: Well, was it much of a culture shock for you going there compared to, you know, Mississippi State, where you mentioned there was a whole office, a lot of different people that were able to help out, specifically, you know, the individual sports and for football, I imagine three or four people at least helping out all these athletes. But then you get there and, uh, you know, I'm someone, I went to school at Tennessee then worked for Division Three, Division Two program and broadcasting, and I just saw just how different things were at those levels. Was it tough for you getting in that environment where now, you know, the work of almost 20 people is all on you?
1: It was it was in that I was starting it from scratch and there was nobody there was nobody there that even knew what my job was. I mean, I think, you know, I don't even I think every, everyone from the president down, they, they had no idea what my job was or what it was they had really hired me to do. And so there was no support. I mean, there's no one to when you had a question or you needed, you know, to balance something off of someone. There was no one there to do that. And I was literally just building everything from scratch, and and that was that was a culture shock because you're coming from a very well established, you know, program where systems and procedures and policies are in place, and there's a there's a huge support system around you to to ask questions to or bounce ideas off of, and so that was a culture shock. At the same time, you know, I really having worked at several different levels, I really believe that there are the same problems everywhere whether you have a multi-million dollar program or a, you know, program that's running on a shoestring budget, I think everyone has the same problems. It's just different faces. You know, I think we all have, uh, have athletes that are harder to deal with. I think we all have, um, you know, feel like we're not doing a good enough job or feel like we don't have enough resources. I mean, I can remember feeling at Mississippi state, like we were behind the eight ball and we didn't have enough resources and we didn't have enough help and we didn't have enough staff members and, you know, complaining a lot at Mississippi State about what we didn't have in comparison to the rest of the SEC, you know, and then you get to a place like Scuba and you realize how much you actually did have, you know, when you when working in the SEC.
0: And then what was it like uh, those early years while you were in Scuba as your program starts to get in place, but also the football program gets in place as well, able to help some kids go on to some major uh, D1 opportunities and then eventually winning national championships?
1: Yeah, you know, it was a very rewarding experience. I think the first couple years I was just trying to keep my head above water. I mean, I was just trying to establish the program and and really probably didn't didn't realize if if I was I didn't know if I was doing a good job or not, you know. I was just I was just trying to get through every day and and when a player would make it and get out and go somewhere, you know, I think sometimes I would be shocked, you know, or or um, and I had coaches telling me, I had recruiting coaches, Division One coaches that would come in, and they would tell me year in and year out. Terry Joseph from Tennessee being one of them, you know, he would say, Brittany, I see I see junior college transcripts all the time. We recruit junior colleges all over the country, and I'm telling you that you have the best transcripts I've ever seen. You're doing a very good job. And, you know, it took coaches like him and, and other coaches kind of give telling me that to really start to give me the confidence that I was doing a good job and that I, w- that I was good at it and, and that we were doing something special at East Mississippi that other junior colleges weren't doing. Um, so it was good to get the reassurance from those coaches. I think that first national championship in 2011, you know, really kind of sealed the deal for me. Um, I can remember sitting on that field after we won that championship, we were playing in Arizona and just crying because I just felt like we had all done it, you know, when no one else thought that we would be able to, we had done it. And, and that's such a good feeling. And even though I wasn't playing in the game or coaching the game, you know, I did feel like i had had a part in, I felt, I think more so with that first national championship. I really did feel like I had helped get us to that point and and, and help win that game, in, you know, in some way. Um, and then, obviously, when you just keep winning them, you know, I think you do lose some appreciation for those moments. Um, you know, I've heard Coach Saban speak and say that as well, that the winning just becomes less and less special and the losing becomes harder and harder. And I think that's true when you're with a program Um, like that and that's unfortunate because those those moments of of those big wins I do think should should really fuel you up.
0: And of course you're able to win the national championships anytime you do something like that you're going to get more attention on a national level and when did you first notice that East Mississippi was starting to attract more attention and what eventually led to Netflix coming in and starting Last Chance U.
1: You know, we really we attracted a whole lot of attention even early, even before that first national championship. We had Randall Mackey go to Ole Mess. We had um, Quentin Dial go to Alabama. Um, another Brandon Lewis go to Alabama. We had th- those three or four big time players my first first year there, and we started attracting a lot of attention because we because of those guys. And then every year we got more and more and more players out and when you're sending players to SEC schools you know people are going to pay attention and so I think we did get get attention and obviously it grew winning three national championships in four years I mean that attention just grows and grows and grows I don't know that I ever I mean until until Netflix was sitting in my office and I don't know even then I mean filming the first season I think I was just naive to what was actually going on and you know I don't think you really I don't think I really grasped what we had done and and the attention that East Mississippi was getting and and that we were all getting until about four months after season one came out and then I think it just kind of all hits you that you know we have put this tiny school that virtually no one knew about on a worldwide map and um, you know that that is exciting and also overwhelming at the same time.
0: And you mentioned Netflix coming in, starting to shoot, and you didn't have a clue what that year would really look like for you guys. And what was it like just, first of all, just having those cameras on a daily basis that first year?
1: Yeah, I, I, I didn't even have Netflix, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, is, I mean, I, did, I didn't even, I thought Netflix was still like the DVD company that you mail, you know, you mail in the list and then they mail you back the DVD. I had no clue how big of a streaming service Netflix was. And I didn't get Netflix until we were in the middle of filming last chance you, um, you know, that first year, honestly, I was so naive to what was to the, to the, to the the scope of what we were doing. I thought, you know, this is going to be a, um, you know, a, a little show about football, about Mississippi on Netflix. And, and, and some people will watch it. I mean, I honestly thought like, okay, SEC fans will watch it. You know, maybe because they've had players come out of there, But I I didn't think for one second that it would be as huge of a show as it was. And honestly, GQ magazine did an article on us in 2014 that started all of this. And I was cut from the article. I wasn't in the (laughs) article at all. And so I think in the back of my mind, filming season one, I kept thinking I'll probably not even be in the show you know, I, they, they're going to show football and they may show me a couple times, but, like, I'm not going to be, I'm not really going to be in this. And so I just, I think I was just naive and, and didn't really, I just went with it and, and trusted the producers and I just, I really didn't know what I was in for <laughs> until it came out. Um, so, so yeah, I, I really didn't think that much about it. I mean, other than having cameras in your face all the time, which that's a really, you never forget that. Um, and you're very aware that there are people and cameras in your face all the time you're very aware of that Um, but I just didn't think a whole lot about the aftermath of the show
0: Well, of course, season one, uh, it ends, of course, in a controversial fashion on the field for East Mississippi with a major brawl and everything like that. And I'm sure it had to be stunning. uh, First of all, just even go through the experience of having the whole season film like it was for. But for the season to end the way it did, just how shocking was that? And even if you look at season two, if you were to tell you before Netflix ever came to town that the next two years, East Mississippi would not be a national champion, what would you have said?
1: I would have never in a million years believed that. Right. I honestly thought that we after winning that third one, you know, I honestly thought like we're on a roll and 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 we're unstoppable and I, and that and then Netflix coming in and and I I just I thought we would win 5 6 in a row. I mean, I thought that we would really we were just getting these players we had some very high profile good players on that team and you know you just kept getting them and kept getting them and I just thought there's no way like no one's going to be able to knock us off and and honestly I don't know that anyone would have been able to knock us off um I think you know I think the NGACAA knocked us off but but yeah ending this season like that I mean it was heartbreaking it was heartbreaking for all of us, um, for for a lot of reasons. I mean, for one, and in, in that you really want to win a national championship. But for me, it wasn't even about the the win and you know the winning. It was more about what it what it did to our players, what it did to them emotionally, what it did to them even in a football sense, even for their futures. I mean, it cost a lot of guys scholarships. It cost a lot of guys scholarships at a, at a they you know a lot of those players would have gone to a higher level had that not happened and, and maybe they got scholarships but they but they got scholarships at a much lower level than they would have had none of that happened and it, you know and honestly it probably cost us two national championships um, certainly the year that it happened and then I think this past season I think we probably would have won another one had we not lost that first game to Jones and that was because of the fight so, you know, I think it, it set us back two years, and I don't know, I don't know now if if they'll recover. Um, so, yeah, that fight was probably um, the probably honestly has become the biggest moment in East Mississippi football
0: well and then the first season comes out and i've heard you talk about it before you had just over 100 twitter followers not too many instagram followers either and then it comes out and you're like you said you weren't sure how many episodes you'd even be in but you turn out to be one of the real stars of the series but it comes out and the cameras are already right back in scuba right on you just what was this time last year like for you oh my gosh this time last
1: year i was just I was drowning. <laughs> Honestly, I was so overwhelmed and just drowning. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. And the show came out July 29th last year. And and about the time, I mean, it it hit pretty pretty instantly. It it was a hit. But I mean, it took it maybe two three months for it to really for it to really spike. Uh, maybe four months for it to really spike. And we were already filming season two. So, I mean, we had maybe two weeks between the show premiering before the cameras were right back in, in our offices again. And and that is such a, it, it was such a fast process. Um, so, this time for me was a lot harder. Um, it was a lot more stressful. Uh, and they, they tried to show it a little bit. I don't know that they, you know, really got the full scope of it. But we were, I mean, I was, I was dealing with not only, yes, my social media exploding and and I, I'm the type of person that when someone sends me a direct message, I want to respond, you know. Or <laughs> I get an email, I want to I want to respond and then move it to the appropriate folder because I want my inbox to be empty. And so, all of a sudden, when I get to work and I have thousands of emails in my inbox, my you know I have to end up turning my direct messaging on my social media was just full to the max. Um, I I got to the point where I couldn't answer my work phone anymore because my number had gotten was on the internet and it was ringing constantly with people wanting my help or fans and it's just it was it was stressful I mean I was doing four to five interviews a day uh, while sitting at my desk in scuba and having to lock my door to keep players from coming into my office while I was doing those interviews Um, it was just it was just overwhelming and it it was all great and it was all overwhelming in a good way Um, but it was a lot to deal with and I think You know i think it did change my ability Uh, i think it changed all of us all of our abilities maybe to do our jobs and and to go about you know things in a normal way because you're just stressed out and you're overwhelmed and there's just a lot on your plate and um you know it was definitely a different a different vibe with season two
0: and you could tell that it really got on buddy's kind of nerves it seemed like all the cameras around he said he noticed the cameras a lot more during season two is that the same for you
1: no, I don't think I noticed them anymore. Honestly, I probably I probably was more comfortable with the actual cameras being around Season 2, which is why I think, you know, um, you got a little bit more candid moments of me in Season 2. I mean, you, you know, I, you saw a little bit more frustration out of me in Season 2 and some of those candid moments in my car. Um, you know, and I think that was because I was just more comfortable with them. They had been around for so long at that point that... I was comfortable with them. Also, I think to and and um I don't want to speak for coach Stevens, mm-hmm. but I really I really became friends with the crew. And I had the same the same camera guy, the same sound tech, the same storyline producer. I had four people that I, were, had been with me from the beginning. And they were the same people and, and and I knew them. You know, I mean I knew them. I knew where they were from. I knew their girlfriends, I knew their families. I knew I, I knew them and they knew me and they knew Kennedy and they knew my routine and they knew my personality and my moods and they could read me. And, and we were like a family, the, the crew that was in my office every day, they were like my brothers. I mean, they, we were like a family. And so, you know, I, I respected them and the job that they were there to do. And I, you know, I, I just, I just, I was comfortable around them and I never in a million years would have prohibited them from doing a good job from doing their job um and so i you know i don't think the cameras bothered me i, I don't you know i don't think the cameras or the crew or, or filming this show was was what bothered me i think it was just the stress of dealing with all of it you know um at one time um and, and maybe me not not handling that the best way
0: and you talk about juggling all the different things. And uh, one of the parts of your job as well, you mentioned um, talking about your relationship with Terry Joseph before, but you're constantly talking to assistant coaches um, at Division One academic counselors and recruiters from schools at all different levels. How do you try to manage all of that along with the responsibilities you have at East Mississippi or you did have?
1: Yeah, that's a lot. And that was always a lot for me before the cameras ever even came around. And that was a that was something that I wasn't used to, you know, coming from a division one program. You're not dealing with recruiters. I mean, every now and then you may deal with an NFL scout, but you're not dealing with that. And and I always knew, I mean, I, I had it on my calendar the day that recruiting started and the day that it ends, because I I knew that I would have a constant flow of coaches in my office or calling me or um, and then once once our guys would commit or sign with a school, then that communication became even more. You know, then it was w- once a week I was talking to those schools and I was reporting back to those schools how, the, you know, the grades and how these players were doing. And that was just a whole other aspect. It was almost like a whole other full-time job. Um, and when you're dealing with one or two players that are signing Division one, you know, when you're at a school where you've got maybe one or two players that are being recruited heavily you know you've got coaches coming in but but when you're at east mississippi and you're pumping out 20 to 30 a year and and 90 percent of those are division one mid-major to high major you know signees i mean it was just crazy the amount of coaches that would come in there on a daily basis and you want to be organized and you want to give them you know i i respect the heck out of them and i know that their paycheck you know, their ability to support their family is is tied to the information that I give them when they're sitting in my office. And so I, I took that very seriously and I wanted to be organized. I wanted to be able to tell them the truth. I wanted to be able to tell them exactly how this player was doing academically and exactly where he was with eligibility. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that I knew that information and that it was accurate and that I was um, giving my best to those coaches when they came in my office because I, I, you know, I know how important that process is to those, the, those coaches in those schools.
0: Well, and looking at season two as well, uh, one of the major storylines was, has Buddy Stevens changed from season one to season two? You said uh, at different points during the season that you hadn't seen it as much, but I, I think one of the telling things was at the very end of the year, the incident he had in the bowl game with Marcus Wood, uh, where Marcus made his smirk to something Buddy said, and all of a sudden his play-calling duties were done, and then we learned in the epilogue that Marcus is no longer on the coaching staff. How surprised were you by that entire thing, especially watching it on screen like that?
1: Um I I wasn't really that surprised honestly. I think a paranoia came over Coach Stevens after season 1. Um I think there was some jealousy involved with, you know, the show comes out and and maybe he was seen in season 1 as more of a villain. I don't know that he expected that. And then some of some of us myself included and maybe Coach Wood were seen as more of, you know, the saviors or the 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 I don't know, the good cop bad cop type of role and you know I don't think that he liked that I think he he's he's like a lot of head coaches you know he's a control freak he wants um the spotlight on him he doesn't want to you know he wants he wants to run his program and in virtually wants it to seem like he's running it with no help and so I think when you have a show come out and then you spotlight other people that are helping you and then they all of a sudden get the praise and the glory that you maybe want you know there's just jealousy involved in there and I think that jealousy started with season one coming out and then I think it grew to a paranoia. Hmm. Um, and, and I wasn't that shocked, honestly. Um, you know I hate it I hate it for, for him, for Coach Stevens. I hate it for all of us that were involved, um, but it didn't it really didn't shock me.
0: And then for you one of your biggest moments uh, was packing up the office and leaving once you decided you were going to leave east mississippi what was that like for you to watch that moment back it was obviously emotional in the moment but the first time you got to see it uh with how netflix produced it what went through your mind
1: yeah i cried i was just i cried just exactly the same way that i cried on the show um it was a very tough day um that day uh, that they that they filmed that actual scene was horrible. I mean, it was literally it was literally it wasn't scripted. I mean, it was literally my last day to mm. be on that campus, and so to to be able to, to go through that eight years, you know, of relationships built and um, eight years of things in my office that I had accumulated and to sit there and have to take them all down and it with a camera in your face, um, that was tough. You know, obviously there had been weeks leading up to that. I mean you didn't see me address the team. Um, I, you know, and, and so you didn't see me saying goodbye to any players really other than temp honor. And I think those moments of playing of saying goodbye to the players were, were horrible. Um, the team meeting that I had with the players was, was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and you know, and but then it all culminated in that culminated in that last day. And, and, I mean, it was rough. The crew was crying. I was crying. I mean, everybody, there was not a dry eye, you know, in the building on that last day, be walking out. And, um, you know, I think too, everyone's, you know, been asking, you know, how could you be so vulnerable? Like how, how did you get through that? And I think that's just who I am. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm an emotional person. I'm passionate and I don't run from those emotions. So, you know, it, it was harder to do to do with the cameras in my face, but I would have I would have done the same thing without them there. You know, I, there's I would have never just packed up my stuff and walked out of there. You know, with a with carefree emotion, that's just not who I am. Um, so, it was a tough day, and it is tough to watch it back. I've watched it several times now, and um, it's tough it's tough to see it, and um, I kind of relive it over and over again every time I watch it.
0: I can imagine. And now you are no longer in Scuba, Mississippi. You've launched your new company, 10,000 Pencils. What can you tell us about that?
1: So excited about it, yes. Um, Just decided that, you know, I wanted to keep doing this, and I I wanted to not be tied to an institution. Um, I had so many people reaching out for me, asking me for help, and I just decided that I could help them. So I've started this new company where we um, can be hired by school districts, or by colleges. Um, We can work with high school, junior college, or university-level athletes, or staff members. Um, I've been hired by several. There was a rumor that came out earlier in the week that I was moving to Michigan. (laughs) I am not moving to Michigan. But a Detroit, Michigan school district has hired me through 10,000 Pencils um, to come in and train their counselors that they already have, to train some of their faculty, and just to work with their staff on how to deal with some of these inner city, lower socioeconomic students. Um, And and that's the kind of stuff that we're gonna do with 10,000 Pencils, it's twofold. We can train counselors and staff members on how to handle um, these types of kids. And we can also be hired to work with the athletes one-on-one. So if a high school program has maybe two players on their team that are high, you know, that are Division One players, and those players are going to need a little extra management, extra help, they can hire me directly to work with those two players. Same with junior colleges, same with universities. Um, And then the third component of 10,000 pencils is something that I was doing anyway, and that's just speaking engagements. Um, I mean, I've been hired by people all over the country to come in and just do speaking engagements, and and I love doing those because I get to meet meet the fans on the ground and um that's always fun
0: well very good well the last thing before i let you go i saw you in season two going to a lot of different college football games and i'm sure with so many players that you've had they're now in division one programs or other schools or even in the nfl In a lot of cases do you have to really carefully plan out your fall in terms of the different football games you're going to be going to
1: I do. Last year, I planned it out like to a T. Um, <laughs> I planned it out, and I mean, I pretty much stuck to it. I, I wavered a little bit on a few games and changed my plans, but I, I did plan it out. I had so many players playing at high level, and and if I don't catch them playing, you know, they come, they get their feelings hurt. <laughs> Um, I have not sat down and done that this year, which it's late, and I need to hurry up and do that. But, um, yeah, that'll be my plan again is to just go out. I love to see these guys, um, you know, in their uniforms and playing at that level on that stage. And um, I love seeing them after the game and the big smiles on their faces or when they get that tackle in that game and the crowd goes wild. I mean, I'm jumping up and down and going crazy. So those are kind of the rewarding moments for me is just to see them succeeding at what they – living out their dreams. Um, so I try to make as many of those as I can because it really does kind of fill me up.
0: Very cool. And last thing, where it can people connect with you online?
1: Well, obviously Twitter and Instagram are pretty hot right now. <laughs> um, my my handles for both of those are the same and it's Brittany underscore MS Girl. Um, and then I have a website, com. That website, there's also 10,000Pencils.com but they link together so... Um, most people it's easier to remember the Brittany Wagner but BrittanyWagner.com I've got a blog on there that I'll be blogging um, about once a week on just different things that I'm doing or different opinions that I have on things that are happening in college athletics and then also there's a speaking engagement schedule on there and and, um, then how I can be hired, Um, you can email me through the website or interest in hiring me to work with programs, you can do that through the website as well.
0: Very good Well, Brittany, thank you for joining me
1: Thank you so much for having me
0: Fun conversation with Brittany Wagner, and even as we started to say goodbye kind of off mic, I uh, realized that she and I have a connection. Her college roommate at Mississippi State was Brooks Donald, who is now Brooks Donald Williams, a member of the Alabama women's basketball coaching staff, and of course, her husband Tyler is my color analyst for Alabama women's basketball. She says she's going to hopefully make it to a Crimson Tide women's basketball game, and I look forward to meeting her in person coming up. But really fun conversation, and I think with her new role being able to reach a lot a lot of people outside of just one school, I think she's really going to make a difference and it's incredible that Netflix can ha- give someone like her a much larger platform to really achieve her dreams and now reach many more people. Well, the Jumbo Shrimp only have about a month left. This is the last full month of baseball that we get to play during the month of August, and then everything comes to a close on Labor Day weekend, and the Jumbo Shrimp have some work to do to try and win the second half. Now they're a game back of Pensacola with only 33 games left to go, so who knows what the next few weeks will look like and whether or not playoff baseball will return to Jacksonville. But it's always kind of a time of transition, getting some things ready for the offseason, some of the work I'll do at different spots around the South, and it's always a fun time this is going to be a really good close to the season what a fun first year it's been for jacksonville jumbo shrimp baseball that's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast i teased the last one saying we have some major league guests on the way but wanted to make sure i went ahead and released this interview with britney wagner today but coming up some really great guests especially the next guest jack mckeon he and i recorded a really fun interview a few weeks I go in Jacksonville, and I should release that early next week. So that'll be the next time we have another episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast. But thank all of you for hitting subscribe, also rating and reviewing the podcast as well on iTunes. That always helps. And until next time, play the waltz, Roy. I remember the night and the Tennessee walls. Only you know how much I have lost. I lost my little darling
1: The night they were playing
0: That beautiful canna